Um, last week we started off thinking, at least I did, thinking that we would be looking at going through verses 14 through the 41st verse. We got through three verses. Today we'll do the rest of it. And I, I guarantee you it's not going to just be three verses today because uh, we're going to be looking at the Apostle Paul's very first recorded sermon here in the book of Acts. So if you'll stand with me as I read that sermon of the Apostle Paul. Now, one of the things that, 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 that we need to take note of, even as we begin to read this, is that this would not be the sermon in its entirety as it's recorded. Um, I, I'm sure that he spoke for much more than just the five minutes or so that it may take to read this. You know, but th th these are the highlights that Luke chose to place here as the Holy Spirit led him to place him in the book of Acts. But let's go ahead and read this and then we'll go through it uh, as we go through the service together. Verse 16 through verse 41, I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. Then Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their way, their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Jesus, after John had first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I'm not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. 
And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. As it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. And Father, we pray that you will give us understanding of these words as we go through this, this sermon of the Apostle Paul. God, teach us. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Mighty, open the eyes of our hearts to give us that understanding. Give us wisdom and discernment to know how we are to apply these words. Even as we look at this sermon, how we can share your truth with others around us. So God, have your way with us. Thank you for your love, your mercy, and kindness. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who's here with us to teach us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Last week, as we looked at those first uh, several verses, or the verses before uh, we started reading there in verse 16, uh, verses 14 uh, and uh, 15 and 16, but 14 and 15 in particular, we, we, we see that the... Um, we, we went through those words as an introduction to this uh, sermon and talked about the departure of John Mark uh, from this missionary group. We also talked ab about, uh, briefly, we, we, we looked at the uh, uh, synagogue service in the first century, what that would look like. Uh, but we spent most of the time as an introduction to this first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul, looked at his own philosophy, his heart to preach the Word of God, his heart to teach the Word of God, and we, we shared about that last week. And these are things, the things that we looked at there in terms of Paul's own heart for teaching God's Word, things that the church today needs to give attention to. And we at Calvary Chapel of Upland do indeed attempt to do that. That's one of the, uh, one of the blessings that we receive from Pastor Chuck Smith in terms of the uh, philosophy of ministry is that the teaching of the Word of God balanced with the work of the Holy Spirit around us in our lives, uh, through the church, in our families, and so forth. Uh, one of the things that he always used to share with us is that, you know, 
if, if, we, if we talk to our Pentecostal friends and they're, they're saying something along the lines that, you, you know, you guys at Calvary Chapel, you just, you're, you're too much into the word, too much Bible get going on over there. If we were to speak to maybe some of our Baptist friends and they'll say something to us like, you know, you guys there at Calvary Chapel, you know, too much going on with the spirit. Pastor Chuck would say, if those are things that are being said, we're probably in a pretty good place. It's a balance between the teaching of the Word of God and recognizing that the Holy Spirit still works in the way that he did, even in the book of Acts. And so, this is where we find ourselves as Calvary Chapel. Now, as we look at this first recorded uh, uh, sermon from the Apostle Paul, one of the things that I, I want to make note of, and I want to draw your atten attention to this, is that this, this sermon is basically a testimony of what God has done for Israel leading up to Jesus Christ himself. The sermon really is all about Jesus. It's not about Israel. It's about what God has done for Israel leading up and bringing Christ to save Israel from its sins, to save all mankind from, from our sins. Really, isn't that, the, isn't that the case? It's all of us. For God so loved the world that he gave. Amen? Well, we see what Jesus did, even, even, or what God did for Israel. Even in verse 17, look at this. It says, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers, right? He exalted the people. He brought them out of it. He put up with their ways. Things that he did. He had destroyed the, the seven nations. He distributed the land. Verse 20, he gave them judges. Verse 21, God gave them Saul as the first king after they asked for a king. Verse 22, uh, when he removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king. And then in 23, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. All of it leading to Jesus being raised up. And I want you to notice something that, that is interesting. In verse 22, he said that, he didn't say that he gave them David as king, like he said he gave them Saul. He raised up for them David as king. And note the term that he used when he gave them Jesus. It says that, he, that God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. He raised up Jesus in the same way he raised up David. And of course, Jesus as the son of David. I think it's an interesting thing that we see here, the way that Paul does that. And then we see that, that not only in the history of Israel do we see that it all leads to Jesus, we also see Jesus being the fulfillment of prophecy, and we see that it is through Jesus that we receive forgiveness of sin. And so it, it's all about Jesus. That's what this sermon is about. It's all about Jesus. But let's, let's take a look on how Paul gets to that place as we see him beginning with a history of Israel very briefly. He gives a history of Israel. Verse 17. The God of his people, Israel, 
chose our fathers. Now, that is a reference to the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a reference to them. He chose our fathers. Uh, That term, our fathers, is used through the book of Acts, pointing back to those patriarchs that God raised up. So from the very beginning, a reference to Abraham being the father of Israel, and as we see in the book of Romans, he also is our spiritual father as well, isn't he? Going back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then also in verse 17, that God exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. That, that is speaking of basically God's deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. He exalted the people. He didn't deliver them, he exalted them. Well, he did deliver them, but the, the, the point, the, the, the word that, that Paul uses is that he exalted them, he raised them up. And that's an interesting thing that Paul does there. He exalted the people when he brought them out of Egypt. I wonder if Paul would say, for us today, even as God delivers us from the bondage of sin, that he exalts us. Gives us a special place, to be sure. Does a special work in our lives, to be sure. You know, I, I think something that is uh, worthy for us to do is to consider as God does a work in our lives, there's this thing going on of, of God seeing us as his special people, exalted in that way, his special treasure. That's who we are. And, and so from his eyes, you know, we are the apple of his eye, right? Now, let's not confuse what we actually are as sinners with the way that God sees us in his love for us. Let's not confuse that. Let's not, let's not think that we deserve to be seen that way. That's the point that I'm making. Because we don't. But God loves you so much, he did this work for you because he sees what's, what's, in, our, what's in your future. He sees what he wants to do in your life. And, and first and foremost, he wants to save you from your sins so that then you can be used by him to bring honor and glory to God, to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as well, for that matter. But with an uplifted arm, we see that there in that 17th verse that God delivered the people with mighty power. That's the, that's the idea, the, the uplifted arm. The uplifted arm of God, he is using his arm this with mighty power that he exalted the people there in verse 17 and brought them out of Egypt. It is God who did that. He brought them out. So he's talking about the ten plagues, the deliverance through the Red Sea, the destruction of uh, 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 Egypt's army in the Red Sea. All of that he's talking about, and basically we're talking about the book of Exodus. 
we see there in verse 17. In verse, uh, um, the, the first part of, of uh, verse 17, uh, even with the idea of uh, cho- choosing our fathers, just those three words, he chose our fathers, basically that's all of, of, of the book of Genesis from chapter 12 when uh, Abraham is called through the end of the book of Genesis. So a very brief account of the history of Israel here in this passage. Now verse 18, now for, for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. Uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Put up with them for 40 years. Let me ask you guys a question. Does God have to put up with us? (laughs) I see a lot of uh, heads going, yeah, he does. Well, thank God that he does, huh? He does put up with us. In his mercy and in his grace, his goodness toward us, he, he understands that we're nothing but dust anyway. You know, he, I, I, I think he is more, oh, what's the right word? We can really be hard on ourselves when we slip away, when we sin. Sometimes we're not hard enough. But we can be too hard on ourselves in the sense that we just kind of stay in that place when we blow it and, and not moving forward, receiving, understanding that God does forgive us, receiving that forgiveness and just simply moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just receiving his forgiveness. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. God, help me not to do that again. Pour out your spirit upon me as we agree with him, as we agree with him about our sin. But boy, he's got to put up with us. Sometimes as we're walking in the wilderness experience in this world, that's certainly something that needs to take place. And then he brought them into the promised land, of course, there in verse 19. Destroying the seven nations and distributing the land. That's the book of Joshua that we see in that, in, in that verse. Verse 20, he gave them judges, the book of Judges. And we, we see in that period of Judges, seven different cycles in which the people of, of Israel are oppressed by neighboring nations. And then they cry out to God because of the oppression. God hears their cry, sends them a judge who delivers them from that oppression. And then as the people are renewed in in their hearts and in their spirit, they follow after God, but then they fall into complacency. And in that complacency, they fall into an oppression under another nation as God basically disciplines them for their complacency because in that complacency comes idolatry. So seven different cycles that year. That took a lot like that. That takes about 450 years to go through those seven cycles. And those cycles represent our own spiritual lives as well, don't they? We can do the same thing. 
you know, we're doing well with the Lord, and then we're going, it, it, things are just going so well, we just kind of gr- grow complacent, you know, and, and in that complacency, we allow the things of the world to kind of enter in, we, we entertain those thoughts, we start doing some of those things, and we just kind of slip, just slip ever so slowly and, and imperceivably to us often, slip away from the Lord until we find ourselves in a place where it's like, how did I get here? It's a, a series of choices. But God awakens us by his spirit. And then we're drawn back to him. Yeah, I mean, the ups and downs, the hills and valleys of our spiritual walk with the Lord, right? I think that describes every one of us to some degree. You know, I mean, for some of us, the the, the, the hills can be higher and the valleys can be deeper. But that does describe our walk with the Lord. Then we see Samuel the prophet mentioned. Of course, the, uh, uh, after the judges, until Samuel the prophet, and then the people asked for a king, verse, 20, or verse 21. He gave them Saul the son of Kish, a Benjamite, for 40 years. When God replaced him, we, 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 now we're into 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel as well through the ministry of, of, of David. Uh, after he replaces Saul, finally, verse 22, he raised up for them David as king. And in that history, we, we, we see what amounts for the Apostle Paul, and for any, any Israelite is reciting this brief history, all that God had done for Israel, it, it, it kind of amounts to like a statement of faith kind of a thing. This is what God has done. This is what he has done for us. In your bulletins, you have a statement of faith. You guys ever look at that? If one of your loved ones, a, a friend of yours, were to ask you what it is that you believe, could you recite that? Or at least what you might consider to be the major points of that? Who is Jesus? What has he done? How has he saved you? These kinds of things. How he loves you. I would encourage you to take a look at that statement of faith. And... I mean, well, you could memorize the whole thing if you want to, or maybe pick out some of the important points that are part of it and so forth. But that is something that, that we can use in sharing our faith with other people. And even cite some scripture along with it, which is an important thing to be able to do. But, you know, I mean, bottom line, people around us who don't know the Lord, they don't care about what scripture you're using. They, ju- they just need to hear the truth. And we don't have to give them the scripture, but it's important for us to know uh, th- those passages of scripture. But I challenge you, take a look at that. Memorize it. Continuing on, verses 23 to 25. We see here in these three verses that 
Paul talks about Jesus being raised up. From this man's seed, from David's seed, according to the promise, the promise that was made to David, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. So we see basically how all the history of Israel leads to Jesus. It all leads to Jesus. He is the focal point of Israel's history. He is the main point, the high point. He's the culmination of the history of Israel and really of the history of the world. Jesus is the main thing, isn't he? Have you noticed how even the way that we cite our dates? I mean, go, going back a while, remember, I, I don't do what they do today, you know, the, the BCE and the CE and all that, the, the common era. That, that's just the way that culture removes Jesus from the picture. Yet even them, they have to acknowledge that even when they say BCE or CE, it used to be BC before Christ or AD, Anno Domini, which is the Latin for um, the year of our Lord. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it all centers on Jesus when he came. And right now, the world really is functioning in such a way where the second coming of Christ is soon to appear. He's soon to come. That's why the world is in such a mess. It, it, he's going to be coming back soon. And it all wraps around Jesus. His first coming as the Lamb of God. His second coming as the, the king, he's going to rule for a thousand years, and it's all wrapped around that. You know, the 2,000 years between his coming, I mean, if he comes tonight, let's say. Oh, not tonight. If he comes right now. <laughs> well, he didn't at that moment, but he will soon. He will soon. But it, 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 it's all pointing to that, his first coming and his second coming. And guys, we've got to be sharing these things with people. Because the world is designed to just take our attention off of that and get us so busy with life or so, so, so filled with pain because of life or whatever, whatever life does to us, what, however the, the, this, the life in this world attracts us, whatever it may be, to dis distract us from Jesus himself. That's what this is all about, guys. We are in spiritual warfare. God wants to save us. The God of this age, Satan himself, wants to destroy us. It's that simple. Who are we going to listen to? How are we going to respond? I mean... That's, that's where we're at, guys. That's what this is all about. And again, I just want to remind you, the hokey pokey is not what it's all about. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul points out that God raised up a, for Israel a Savior. 
And the people of Israel knew this was coming. They, they knew that this, this was going to happen. They understood this. Isaiah 53, 11. Isaiah the prophet. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Speaking about Jesus. By his knowledge, my, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. That's just one of many verses that speaks about the reality of the Messiah who would come in Isaiah 53, obviously a beautiful prophetic chapter speaking of Jesus. Matthew wrote in his gospel, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. But while he thought about these things, and this is, he's, he's writing now about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, whom his uh, betrothed wife, Mary, had had let him know that she was with child. He was having a difficult time with that. So the angel came and spoke to Joseph. Matthew is writing about that here. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, like she said. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We see the prophecy from Isaiah. We see the fulfillment here in the Gospels. All of it pointing to Jesus. And then we see Paul writing about John the Baptist, the forerunner to Jesus, the one who preached about the coming of Jesus, even as he was about to uh, uh, come onto the scene here. But in verses 24 and 25, uh, John's ministry, after John had first preached, so Jesus came after John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance. That was his message, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So there were tons of people being baptized by John the Baptist. The baptism of repentance. But he goes on and, say, and he says in verse 25, and as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to loose. And so Paul speaks of Jesus, speaks about John the Baptist, his forerunner, who, who paved the way for his coming, mentions the, the, the fact that John mentioned or talked about the fact that he's not the Christ, because they were asking him, the leaders of Israel were asking, well, well are you he? Are you the Christ? Well, no, that, that's not me. And so he made this statement about, about the one coming whose sandals he's not even worth to loose. And then verse 26. Actually, you know, before we go there, let, let, let's go to this passage in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. This is that passage in which we see this happening here that, that I just described about John the Baptist. 
Verse 19 of John 1, now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what, what then, are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. John was a man of few words. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he coming after me, who is preferred before me, who, who's whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. Paul, of course, quoting this passage as he speaks to the Jews there in this synagogue. Here he teaches that Israel's history points and leads to Jesus Christ. Now, it has been asked... The question has been asked, is there a purpose to history? Is there a goal? Is there a culmination of history? Because you see, if there's no point to it, if there's no purpose to history, then it gives people freedom. If there's a purpose or a point, then we need to give attention to that point. But the world teaches that there is no point. We teach that Jesus is the point. They teach that there is no God. Or maybe there's some other God. But to direct us away from Jesus Christ. There's a book written by Dostoevsky by the name of Brothers Karamazov. Brothers Karamazov. In it, one of the brothers said this, if there's no God, then everything is permitted. Which illustrates a point. Your friends and mine, family members who don't know Christ, don't want to because they want to maintain their the lifestyle that they are enjoying. You guys see that? That's really what it is. It, it's, it's not, you know, they, they may say, well, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen, seen anybody prove that God exists. They'll believe other historical accounts, though. They'll believe that Alexander the Great ruled just prior to a couple hundred years before the coming of Christ. They'll agree with the reality of the Roman Empire. You know what I mean? I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll agree with points of history that don't require them 
to, to give an account of their life. That's really what it's all about. It's not about the intellectual prove to me that God really exists and I'll fall down and worship him. No. They don't want to fall down and worship him because they're too busy worshiping their own, them, them, themselves and doing what they want to do, seeking their own pleasures and desires like we did before we came to Jesus. They're no different than us. Let's make sure that they understand that we understand that. The only thing that makes you as a believer in Jesus different from those who don't is Jesus himself. He makes a difference. He's the one that changes us. He changes our viewpoint. He changes what we see. He changes the way that we see it. He changes the way that we see ourselves. And lets us know that we need him. Jesus is the purpose. He is the goal. He is the high point of history. There's a second point here that Jesus is the one who fulfills prophecy. In verses 26 to 37, basically we see this. Let, let's, um, let's not reread all those verses, but we do see this. As, 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 as Paul is uh, directing this sermon to these Jewish people and the God-fearers, we see that in verse 26, uh, he says, men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those who among you, uh, among you who fear God, um, those are the ones who worshiped with the Jews, Gentiles, but who saw the God of Israel as the God who deserved to be worshiped. So they would join them in their worship of, this, uh, of the Israeli God uh, in their synagogues. But then it says, to you, the word of this salvation has been sent. He just talked about Jesus. He said, the word of this salvation has been sent to you. How are they receiving the word of this salvation? Through the Apostle Paul. Through the Apostle Paul. Um, God sends those who preach to those who need to hear and it's God doing the sending. He's doing that work. God, uh, Paul says that, that this word of salvation has been sent to you. Then he speaks about the reality in verses 27 uh, and um, 28 and 29 that it was through the people of Israel through the leaders as well as the people, that Jesus was crucified. Those who dwell in Jerusalem, their rulers, because they did not know him, verse 27, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read every Sabbath. Paul is making a powerful point right there. He says, the people of Jerusalem, the leaders, and the people, they, they, they go to the temple every single Sabbath 
They hear the prophets read every single Sabbath, yet they have no idea what's in them. They don't know, they don't know God nor the prophets themselves. Guys, we've got to give heed to what God has to say, don't we? We need to give heed. And this is where Paul is leading to, this idea of the, the word of God is shared, it is read, it, it, it is uh, um, spoken, it is preached, it is taught. Listen up. Because if you don't, you're going to miss what life really is all about. In essence, that's what Paul is saying. And those who don't listen to the word of God are missing out on what life really is about. Oh, right now you can't convince them. But there will be a day when they'll be convinced and for too, too, too many of them, it's going to be too late. Because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that right? And it is the work of God's Spirit through us in the lives of those who are still resisting that matters. God wants to use you and me in the lives of people around us to live the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share, to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to their hearts. Even to the point where someday perhaps they will know. But there's going to come a day for many who, who, who deny and resist and say no till the day that they die in this, in, in this world. And then they wind up in a place that we tell them about that they don't believe. And they'll be thinking, I wish I had listened. That's a heavy thing right there. That's a heavy thing, isn't it? But guys, isn't, isn't it a truth that we can't forget? Isn't it something that we, we I mean, we, we need to remember that because those people that we say that we love who haven't yet come to Christ, we, we know their eternal destiny. We know. What are we doing? How are we making them somehow come to a place where they'll, 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 they'll believe, at least acknowledge? It's, it's heavy stuff. It's heavy stuff. Paul makes this point that these who dwell in Jerusalem fulfilled the prophecies through their own unbelief, through their own not listening to the word, through their own, even, they, even though they claim to be Jews, and they, they, they are, they, they claim to be followers of the God of the Jews, they're not. They don't know him, nor the prophets. But it was through them that those very prophecies were fulfilled. They unknowingly fulfilled those prophecies by crucifying Jesus. 
Verse 30 to 35. I love verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. Don't you love that? I mean, we see there, you know, Good Friday and Easter, right? They crucified him, but God raised him. You know, um, it makes me think of a, I, I think it was a book. So, I, I don't remember who was, I want to say it was Tony Campolo who wrote this book. It's, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Uh, something like that. And it says, uh, the, the, the good news of a risen Christ. The good news that he died for our sins. That's some, that's some really tough good news. But it is indeed good because we can say we, are, we have received forgiveness of sins because Jesus took our sin upon himself and died on that cross in our places, didn't he? Well, God raised him from the dead. Then we see him quoting basically three different Psalms. Psalms 2-7, Isaiah 55-3, Psalm 16-10 in showing that Jesus was raised from the dead, that, that, the, that the, prophetically it spoke about that Jesus would be raised from the dead. Uh, these are psalms that uh, David wrote, or, or of course Isaiah 55 uh, from the pen of Isaiah. Then in verse 36, for David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. He's Paul proving the point that King David was not writing about himself because he saw corruption. He was writing about another. And Paul is pointing out that it is this Jesus Christ whom God raised from the dead that Paul, or excuse me, that David was writing about a thousand years before it happened. And then verse 38. So he sees Jesus as a fulfillment of prophecy. Much prophecy was fulfilled by Christ. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament speaking of the Messiah, not just simply the resurrection and, and his death and so forth, but messianic prophecies fulfilled by Jesus. Then finally, the final point that he makes Jesus is the justifier of sinners. Verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Something that the Jews believed in, something that they hoped for. Jeremiah 31, 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. The prophet Micah, in Micah 7, verses 18 to 20, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity? and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
You will give truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from days of old. So the Jews understood this idea of forgiveness, what it means that God would bring it to his people. Verse 39, And by him everyone who believes in by who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. The law of Moses exposes our hearts. Paul writes to the Galatians about this. Why, why the law? Well, he says that it is a tutor to bring us to Christ. The law teaches me, it teaches you, teaches the Jew that they're sinners that we are sinners, that we need forgiveness. Now Paul is saying here that we've got to look to Christ for forgiveness because it is through Jesus that that forgiveness comes. The, 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 the forgiveness that, Jesus, that God promised comes through only Jesus Christ. Only through him. Justified. Which is a word that basically means that God declares us to be righteous. If you have been justified through Christ, that means through Christ, God declares you to have righteousness, to be righteous. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Law of Moses can't do that. It's only through the blood of Jesus. Again, we think of that song, what uh, can take away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then finally, he, he closes with a warning. He said, beware. Beware, therefore. Beware, therefore. Therefore, all this has been said and comes to this warning. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken and the prophets come upon you. Now he's quoting from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Paul the apostle was there declaring it to them, warning them, make sure that you believe because if you don't, you'll wind up with, this, with what Habakkuk was talking about. The judgment from God. And so this very first recorded sermon of the Apostle Paul. Jesus being at the center of it. Jesus being the culmination of the history of Israel. And really the history of all the world, really. Jesus the fulfillment of over 300 Old Testament prophecies. Guys, that is such a valuable thing to share with your friends, with your family members. I mean, open up Psalm 22. Open up Isaiah chapter 53. These passages, you know, Psalm 22 was written a thousand years before Christ, and yet he writes about how uh, his garments were divided among the soldiers. One, one thing that he declares there. Opens up the psalm, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The very theme that Jesus said from the cross. A thousand years before. Isaiah, 700 years before. Now, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and, and a thousand, even more than that, prophecies of the Messiah fulfilled by Jesus. Those are powerful things. And people will come up with their excuses. Oh, how can we be sure they actually were written that long ago? How can we be sure that, that the Gospels weren't just copying those things? I mean, how can we be sure that this actually happened? You know? Um, talk to them about history and how history takes place, how, how, how the New Testament are, is, a, is a, a group of various documents, the four Gospels independently written, saying the same thing, the letters written. I mean, th this is how we, we determine history. This is how we know what happened years ago when we weren't there. Letters that were written, documents that were written, historical accounts that were written. There, there, there is more in the New Testament to give us understanding of who Jesus is and what he did, far more than Alexander the Great. I, I spoke of him earlier, but people, I mean, there's just a handful of documents that speak about Alexander the Great, over 5,000 that speak about Jesus. But Alexander the Great doesn't require you to change your lifestyle. Jesus does. And so, this sermon from, from Paul, I encourage you to consider these points and how you might weave those into a presentation of the gospel with your friends and, and your loved ones. How Jesus is the one that history points to. He's a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies and he's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. Father, help us to understand that. Might we be mindful of those truths even for our own lives as we walk with you, Lord, and thank you because of it. But Lord, might we use this as a, as, as a, as a pattern for sharing your truth with those around us. God, we, we lift them up to you. We lift our loved ones, our, our friends who have not yet bowed their knee to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will give us opportunity to share your truth with them and we'll take that opportunity. And Lord, we know that that can be difficult on relationships and we do so. But God, might we not be afraid to rock the boat when you speak to us to do so. Lord, Eternity is at stake. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to us, that you sent your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. And Lord, you moved us to, um, to the place where we just had to bow our knee to you now, not wait till it's too late. But God, we just want to praise you. We want to thank you. We want to give you all the glory. And God, might we not just sit and glory in the, in the grace that you poured out upon us, but Lord, might we serve you 
might we work to accomplish those things that are before us, that others may know the grace, the peace, the hope, the life that we have. We love you, Lord. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.